I am so thrilled to see you, and Becky and I are so thrilled to be back, and, and the Word of the Lord is so important, and I want to get right into the Word this morning, and I look forward to fellowshipping with you, but I want to talk to you about God's pleasure this morning. I want to take you to the book of Ephesians and to do a flyover of the book of Ephesians. I've never preached through an entire book in one message before. Sister Addison, after the funeral, was saying, Dennis, I'm going to be praying for you as you go back home to preach. And I said, well, if I preach long, I'm going to blame it on you then, because this will be my first time preaching through an entire book. Dusty Saunders, just a few moments ago, says, well, if we get up and walk out while you're preaching, you know you preach too long. So, Dusty, be sure your sins will find you out this morning. But I am so glad to be back. Becky and I had a wonderful, wonderful sabbatical, and it's good to be home. I want you to, um, I ask you to sit down, but I want you to stand one more time out of respect for the word of the Lord, and I want to take you to the book of Ephesians and just read you the first five verses. As a matter of fact, I'd like you to read them out loud with me, please, this morning. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. Stop. Now, that's not a church. It's to the churches in Ephesus. This would be Whenever you see a letter in the paper that the Pope has sent out an encyclical, that means, encyclical means to be circulated. This letter was to be circulated among the churches. So he says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, pick up with me, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us. God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him... Let's say it again. It gave him great pleasure. I'm going to ask you as you're seated to take your outline or your Bible if you have it open, and would you circle that, those two words, great pleasure. During my sabbatical, I have tried to focus upon one thing in prayer, and God, what do you want to say and do at Woodland? I turned 63 years old on my sabbatical, and I was out running the day of my sabbatical. I went and ran the very same route that I ran when I was 30 years old. And I got to tell you, I didn't run it as quick, but I ran it and I finished it. And I would have busted a gut before I had not finished it that morning. But I went out and I ran that same route 40, 33 years later. I ran that same route and I laughed. And, but that whole time I was praying, I was running through the pine forest there in Georgia. I was running by the lake and I was thinking and praying, God, what do you want to do in this next decade? What do you want to do, Lord? I want to finish strong in you. I want to finish full of the Spirit. I want Woodland to continue to thrive and to grow. And the Holy Spirit has been, and I don't say that lightly, but the Holy Spirit has been working and birthing in me this entire sabbatical, a series of messages that I want to talk to you about. There is nothing so dangerous as to say it doesn't matter what you believe, it just matters how you live. That is one of the most dangerous statements that I hear people saying today. I don't care how you believe. I, it just matters how you live. It's what Thomas Jefferson said years and years ago. 
before he became the president of our nation. He says it's deeds, not creeds, that matter. He wrote to someone and wrote those letters down, and he made it a dogma. He, he said to them, he says, I've never tried any, to persuade anyone else to believe as I believe about God because who knows? It doesn't matter what you believe. It's by my life and by my deeds that my life is validated, not my, by, by my beliefs. Friends, I want you to know it's your beliefs that shape your deeds. It's your beliefs that shape how you live. Now, obviously, you don't want to live next to somebody that's a cruel or an inhumane person or a thief or a, or a liar or anything like that. I'm not trashing good behavior or good citizenship as we teach our children in high school and in grammar school. But what I'm saying is it does matter deeply what you believe because your beliefs not only shape your core values in life and who you're going to be, it shapes us as a church. It shapes us as a congregation. It shapes how you raise your children and determines the kind of children that they're going to become. It shapes and determines your marriage and the kind of marriage that you're going to have. It shapes and determines the generations that follow you because the impact of your life, the decisions and the convictions and the beliefs that you have in Jesus Christ today will affect the generations that follow. In the book of Ephesians, we start in the nosebleed section in these first three chapters. It's high. It's glorious. It's like you're flying over a landscape. It's like you're looking down from a 30,000-foot level. It's like you're in the upper bleachers of a football stadium or a baseball stadium, and you, you say to yourself, I'm in the nosebleed section here. It's so high, I'm afraid to move. You feel the nitrogen bubbles as they begin to bubble up in your soul and bubble up in your spirit when you read those first three chapters of the book of Ephesians because you read about our salvation. You read about our deliverance from sin. You read about the heavenly places. You read about the fact that Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And then you read about that you, by your confession of faith in Christ Jesus and you're being chosen by Him, that God takes you and He seats you with Christ in heavenly places. You're in that nosebleed section. You're looking down and then those last three chapters of Ephesians, he takes us to the real practical matters because in this church there were some problems. In this church there was some lying. In this church there was some stealing. In these churches there were some people that weren't living out their beliefs at all. Their beliefs had not affected how they lived. So the first thing the Apostle Paul says, remember God. Remember God. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. This was a church that in the book of Revelation we are told they have forgotten what God had done for them. They have forgotten the glory and the splendor of the Lord. This is the church that the Bible tells us that Jesus warned them, you have forsaken your first love. You've got the right form. You've got the right things. You're doing all the right things, but you're going through it. It's a matter of ritual for you. It's a matter of form for you, but you have forgotten forgotten what it's all about. This church is not about music. This church is not about buildings. This church is not about offerings. This church is not about personalities, whether mine or anybody else. This church is about Jesus Christ. Our mission statement says we celebrate the love of God by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. How many passionate followers of Christ are in this building this morning? Let me hear you say amen. That's what God has called us to be. This was a church that was born in revival. This is the church that 20 years later, Paul is writing this epistle 
January will be 20 years ago that I became your pastor. And somehow or another, God supernaturally just began to work in my life and this book and my sabbatical this time. And as I began to reflect back upon the background, there were too many similarities and too many things happening in our culture, too many things happening around us. And some things that I fear could happen to us if we don't remember what our first love is. This was a church that had believers in it when the Apostle Paul came. When the Apostle Paul came and preached to them, there were many there that had already come to faith in Christ, but they had never heard about the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul finished preaching the gospel to them, he laid hands upon them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they even began to speak in tongues the way they did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it amazed the disciples. It amazed Paul because the Spirit was poured out upon them in the same way that it happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out, and a church was birthed in the midst of a pagan culture. A church was birthed at the feet of the temple of Diana. The Ephesus culture was far more depraved than even the culture that we live in. The Ephesians degraded marriage. The Ephesians degraded art. The Ephesians degraded sexuality. The Ephesians degraded life in every way that you could imagine. And it is the mark of a pagan society when we begin to degrade marriage. It is the mark of a pagan society when we begin to devalue life, when we begin to say that marriage is not as God intended it, we have quite a number of single people that call Woodland Church their home. And we are so grateful for you and we are so grateful for them. And understand this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there is the only description that God gives of the single life and how to live it. But he shows you how to live that life in Jesus Christ. He shows you how to live that life in the Apostle Paul. He shows you how to live that life in the life of the Virgin Mary after Joseph had died. He shows you how to live that life. But the normative in the Bible is that a man and a woman would come together and they would not only love each other and love God, but they would begin to have a family and nurture and cherish their children. And in the Ephesian culture, that was being degraded and babies were being sacrificed. We went through this in the book of Revelation that I was teaching before I left. But now this church persecuted, baptized in the Holy Spirit, become lukewarm. And Paul wants to remind them, and I want to remind you of who we are in Christ. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We have been made more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Can somebody give him a hand of praise this morning? The Bible says that Paul prayed two prayers. The first is their eyes would be opened that their eyes would be open to see how much God loved them, that their eyes would be open to see what God was doing in their midst. And the second Paul prayed for was power, that God would send the power of the Holy Spirit again. And then he says to them, he says, God wants to call you to a life of purity. God wants to call you to a life of spirit-filled living. But then God says, there's also something you need to recognize. You're in something called spiritual warfare that we'll get to in just a few minutes. And he talks several times about the heavenly the heavenlies. Not heaven as we read about it in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, but the heavenlies. That area, that arena of spiritual conflict that is taking place around us. As evangelical Christians and biblical Christians, we believe in angels, not just at Christmas time and not just at Easter. We know that they are ministering spirits, but we also know that there are 
fallen spirits. We know there are spiritual powers and principalities that Paul will talk about in Ephesians chapter 6 that we war against. We war not against people. And so Paul takes a word called epiranios, and he begins to talk several times about this in this book, and he wants us to understand that what's happening in this world around us is there is a spiritual conflict taking place, and you are not going to conquer those spiritual powers by your buildings, by your music, by your talent, and by your skills or by your politics. You're going to only conquer those spiritual powers by your fervent, spirit-filled prayer life and by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we say we celebrate God's love by persuading people to come to Jesus Christ and know Him. And so you see something powerful in chapter 1. You see we're forgiven, we're adopted, and we're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. I am loved by God. The Bible says God loved us. Say that with me. God loved us. Say it again. God loved us. Now say, I am loved by God. Secondly, God chose us. You didn't choose him. He chose you. His Holy Spirit began to convict you and to call you and to draw you to himself. God chose us in Christ. God chose us because of what Christ did for us at Calvary. Paul says, I refuse to glory in anything but the cross. Paul says, I write to you, I write this epistle to you, though I am in chains for Christ. He writes to the Colossian church, I am in chains for Christ. He writes through Philemon, I am am in chains for Christ. It's the Romans that's got him in jail. It's the Romans that holds the key, but he doesn't give the enemy any of the credit. He says, I am there because of Jesus Christ, and we are here today, not because of any condition around us. We are here because of Jesus Christ. Somebody praise the Lord this morning. I am saved. Thirdly, I am saved to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Read that with me. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. I want you to stand up right now. We don't normally do this, but I want you to turn around and greet each other again, and I want you to tell them, I want you to say, I am loved, I am chosen, and I am saved. Minister to each other with that. I am loved, I am chosen, I am saved. Go to several people and just minister to them with that. Michael, you are loved, you are chosen, and you are saved in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, didn't that feel good? Didn't that feel good to walk up to somebody and make a confession of faith to them this morning? I am loved. I am chosen, and I am saved. We have four adopted children, and our children used to tell everybody all the time, says, I'm not an accident. My parents chose me. My parents love me. My parents didn't have to adopt me. My parents chose to love me. And I'm telling you this morning, God chose you. God loved you. God saved you, not because of anything you had done, but simply because it was the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins upon the cross. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? Well, glory to God. Secondly, I want you to remember you're a child of God this morning. You're more than just a normal human being. You're more than just an average human being. That doesn't mean you're better than somebody else. 
That doesn't mean you're better than a lost person, but there's something different about you wherever you go. You are a child of God. You are filled with his Holy Spirit. You have been chosen by God. You have been adopted by God. You have been loved by God. You have been saved from your sins by God. Satan has no authority over you. Those spiritual powers in the heavenly realms, they have no power over you. We fear not man, nor do we fear devil or Lucifer himself, for we are the child of God, and we have been called to overcome in Jesus Christ this morning. And furthermore, God uses a wonderful word about you. The Greek word is poema. It's the word we get our word poem from. When men New Hampshire on our sabbatical, Becky and I went to the home of Robert Frost, and we walked through the home. We walked the poetry trail. We listened to some poems that they had recorded, they had read, and I kept thinking, walking around that homestead and looking at those beautiful mountains and thinking to myself, oh, he was a great writer. He was a great poet. He was a writer that became America's Poet Laureate. We remember him. We studied him in school. But I want you to know something. There is a greater masterpiece that has been written than anything Robert Frost or anyone else has ever written, and that's the story of God's amazing love and amazing grace in your life this morning. Look at this verse with me. For we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us so long ago. You see, in chapter 2, we begin to see ourselves from heaven's point of view. Suddenly, we see what the world despises for us to see. Suddenly, we see things differently than the world sees it, and when we bring it up, the world is quick to try to slap us down. The world is quick to try to shame us. This fallen culture that we live in no longer tolerates the word sin, no longer tolerates the word perversion. Anything goes in an Ephesian culture. Anything goes in a culture that lives for its pleasure. Anything goes in a pagan culture, and that's just the way that those fallen principalities and powers in the heavenlies want it to be. They want people to see life from this side where you live for your pleasures and you live for what you want out of life. And it doesn't matter who gets hurt. It doesn't matter what baby pays the price. It doesn't matter what human being pays the price or what environment pays the price or even that Jesus paid a price so that you can be saved. And the Bible looks down at us and in Ephesians chapter 2, it says something that causes pagan philosophers and pagan psychologists and pagan politicians to gnash their teeth and it says that we were lifted out of our sin. We were lifted out of our shame. We were lifted out of disgrace. That is what God has saved us from. And they will slap you down in a New York minute when our vice president about a year ago made it public that he doesn't meet with women along Suddenly, there was editorial after editorial and paper after paper trying to slap our vice president down for the same thing that Billy Graham was admired for, for the same rule that every pastor of pastors on this staff adheres to, and that's for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of this church's reputation. We don't meet with any woman alone at a restaurant or a hotel or a public place or any place like that. When we meet with somebody, we meet in our offices, we have windows in our doors, and there are people here and our vice president was slapped down and told old-fashioned and perverse and he would put women back in chains and we're living in a culture now when we see a Me Too movement where women have been harassed and have been sexually molested behind closed doors. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. You will never outsmart the wisdom of God that is in the Bible. 
You may think you've got a better idea, but you're a fool when you believe that. Faith takes us in when God lifts us out of our trespasses and sins, and it turns us into the kind of people that can do the things that we could not do on our own. It turns us into the kind of people that can love in a way we could never love on our own. It turns us into the kind of patient people that we could never be on our own. Two weeks ago on our sabbatical, three weeks ago, I was trying to help Becky with something, and I had told her that morning, I said, I've been praying on the sabbatical. God would develop patience in my life. God, develop patience. I'd get on my knees, say, Lord, develop patience in my life. And I was trying to help Becky with something, and I kept messing things up, and she finally said to me, stop praying for patience. You're driving me crazy. You know, you find yourself doing things that you could never do on your own. Chapter 2 tells us what our salvation means to our relationships as passionate followers of Jesus Christ and how we can relate to each other. And all I can say is what Paul said in Ephesians 1.3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That word is pneumatikos, spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. That word is if every spiritual gift. God somehow or another says, I'm going to confound the power powers of the heavenlies. I'm going to confound the powers of darkness because I'm going to do something in your life so amazing. I'm not just going to forgive you of your sins. I'm not just going to wash you free from your sins. But now in the heavenlies, I'm going to pour out every spiritual blessing and every spiritual gift. And let me list some of those for you this morning. He gives us joy. He gives us satisfaction and honor. He gives us peace and patience. He gives us love and kindness and power and gentleness. He gives us self-control and forbearance. These are not possible in the world because the world takes these things and tries to counterfeit them in lust and consumption and disgrace and oppression and impatience and lack of self-control. I am a Christian not because I'm a good man. I am a Christian because God chose me. God loved me. God saved me. God washed me free of my sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I love him because he first loved me. I am here today because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? That might come to your mind, I don't know, but it might come to your mind where Jesus said to some people, and he will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't know who they are. It just simply means they never committed their lives to Jesus Christ. It just simply means that they never lived for Jesus Christ. You see, this word know in the book of Ephesians, it's also a very intimate word. It's more than just, I know about Tom. I know that he retired from Ford. I know that he's married to Sharon. I know that about his sons. It's more than that he likes to play tennis and he likes Chinese food and he likes Florida, but he likes Michigan better. You say, well, you know a lot about Tom. But there is a knowledge that Tom and Lowell, that Dusty, that Marcy and Becky and I have, that we have as a church of one another, that is much deeper in that because we're the family of God. We bear one another's burdens. We love with one another. We rejoice. We cry. We weep with one another. Those people who never commit their lives to Christ, they not only know God, it's why the preaching of the gospel sounds like foolishness to them. They not only don't know who God is, 
but they don't understand the church. Becky and I were having our finances reviewed, and our financial advisor looked at us and says, you're giving too much money to the church. You're giving too much money to this. And we had to explain to her that, you know, we have what we have because we put God first in our tithes and our offerings, and God has blessed us. She never heard that concept before. She says, well, that just won't work. And I says, well, you can see it is working. You see, when you know God and you know his principles, they make sense to you. And Dusty, I've preached my time limit. Stay with me for just a little bit longer. You see, what I want you to see this morning, and you'll have to write these down because I could have put them in your outline. I am empowered by faith in God. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, I also pray you'll understand the incredible, say that with me, incredible, say it again, incredible, I can't hear you this morning, the incredible what? greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What does God want you to know? There is more power available to you than you have been using and you have been accessing. But you're not going to get it just by sitting in church on a Sunday. You're going to get it by storming the gates of heaven, by being on your knees in prayer, joining us for our Saturday night prayer services, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, you've been given authority in Christ. The Bible says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. What's that saying? If I had a chair, I'd sit it right here right now and I'd say, Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Everything is under his feet. And when you have been chosen and you have been loved and you have been saved, by God. He says, I seat you at the right hand of Jesus, and everything that is under Jesus' feet is under your feet. And this is not the proper way to think about it, but if just for a moment you could get this mind, if Jesus' head is in heaven, and again, this is not the right way to think about it, but if Jesus' head is in heaven, Revelation 4 and 5, that here upon this earth and this conflict that we're facing, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. We are the feet of Christ. We are the mouth peace of Christ, and we have been empowered to be able to praise him, serve him, and preach the gospel, cast out devils, pray for the sick. We have been empowered by God to do what Jesus did upon this earth. Can we give him a hand of praise? And then finally, somebody come to the piano. I am equipped. I have what I need. Be strong in the Lord and in his, all his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. My enemy, my enemy is not people. We've allowed, in some churches, not this church, but in talking with pastors and visiting churches this summer, politics, Christian Democrats that won't speak to Christian Republicans, both sides saying you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat, or you can't be a Christian and be a Republican. This pulpit is not for politics, but this pulpit is for the word of the Lord. 
And I want you to hear me this morning. Hell has no greater delight than when the body of Christ refuses to walk in unity and become divided against each other. Our enemy this morning is those unseen powers. 14, 15 senators meeting together for weekly prayer service when the Senate is in session may not sound like a lot to you in Washington, D.C. There are 14, 15 men that I know of. I've been in their prayer room. I've knelt where they pray. I've picked up the Bible they study out of. And I want to tell you this morning, if 12 men full of the Holy Spirit could turn a world upside down, what can this church do in Downriver if we ask God one more time to fill us with the Holy Spirit? I've not even gotten into those wonderful things because of time about what the Spirit of God will do in our families, what the Spirit of God will do in our employee relationships. But I want to tell you this morning, you were chosen, you were loved, you were saved. So let me just give you these fill-ins for your growth work, and then we're going to pray. Live united in the Spirit, in your marriage, and in our congregation. Let's seek to walk in unity. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That doesn't mean that Becky and I always agree on everything. The three greatest words I've ever learned is, you are right. I am sorry. Those are some of the greatest words I've ever learned. We don't always agree, but we're united. I'll guarantee you that we're united. And as a church, that doesn't mean people always agree on everything, but we're united. We're the body of Christ. Secondly, live in purity. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You may not cuss, and you may not watch R-rated movies, and you may not do a lot of things like that. But friends, let me tell you something. Purity is not about that. Purity is about loving each other and walking in kindness and forgiveness. It's being tenderhearted. Live in love. Paul says, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of what this all means, what I preached about this morning. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Live in light. What does that mean? Live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. How do you know if you're living in the light? Because your life is producing that which is good and it's right and it's true. One of the speakers, it wasn't the text that I used, but one of the speakers at Dr. Addison's funeral used a verse that I thought was so appropriate. He said, Dr. Addison was a man like Nathaniel that Jesus said in John chapter 147, a man in whom there was no guile. Some of you in here met him when he came and preached for us and our pastors were discipled by him. Here was a man that was a man of the light because the life he lived, there could be no fault, there was no thing ever said against him. The people who grieved and mourned that day 
And I was one of the fortunate few to be able to say he was my spiritual father, my mentor, my pastor, my friend. Live wisely. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Live thankfully. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God. Are you grateful this morning? I get up every morning and I write down three things that I'm thankful for. Three things. Sometimes it's the same thing as it was the day before yesterday. I just need to remind myself I'm thankful for that. Other days, I'm thankful because something happened last night that only God could have done, or I was saved from something that only God could have saved me from. But live thankful lives. Be thankful for those around you. Be thankful for your wife, your children, your husband. Be thankful for your job, your church. If you find it in your heart, be thankful for me as I am thankful for you because I give thanks for you always. Live in submission to the Lord. See, how do we live in submission to the Lord? Oh, this is a hard one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21. Oh, I know I'm living in submission to the Lord when I can submit to Becky or I can submit to the church. I can submit to my leadership, my board. We live in submission. Webster's Dictionary defines submission as a quality. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean somebody walks all over you. You don't submit to people that are going to walk all over you. You submit out of reverence for Christ. And then, the Bible says, you will live in victory. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Can somebody say, come on, victory this morning? I want you to stand with me and let me pray for you this morning. I love you, Jesus. I love you with all my heart. And I want to be a church, Lord, that is passionate for you, that never forgets our first love. I want to be that church, Lord God, that walks in victory in the heavenly places and upon this earth. Lord, I want us to be the kind of church that our hearts are in the heavenly places, but our feet are planted solidly upon this earth so that every power of hell trembles, Lord. I want to be the kind of man and thus to be the kind of church that bows our knees at the feet of Jesus each and every day and seeks your face and prays, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, let us live in the knowledge that we are chosen, we are loved, we are saved by God, and we are called to an overcoming life. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me at Calvary. My heart is stirred this morning, and I know that could only happen because you were calling me. I believe in you, Jesus. I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for calling me. I thank you for accepting me. Forgive my sins and save me this morning and make me your son or daughter. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. And my dear friend, if you prayed that this morning, God heard you, God answered that prayer, and in the heavenlies, angels of God are rejoicing, and the powers of hell have suffered one more blow. Could we give the Lord a hand of praise again this morning? Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, ushers, if you will come. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings this morning. Join me. Let's give cheerfully. Let's give joyfully. And let's give thankfully to the Lord this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bring you our tithes and our offerings. We ask you to receive them. Lord, you have given to us the ability to earn a living. And now we show you our reverence and thanks by giving back to you, Lord, the tithe that's yours. In Jesus. Some of you look like you were ready to run to the grave. <laughs> now, I don't expect you to sing like she does. Because you'll be sweating all over the place. But you can all sing like he does. Right? You, or at least you can all sing like I do. You can make a joyful noise into the Lord. Let's sing that one more time, okay? Come on. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you that we are your people, your church. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your glorious light in Jesus Christ. We thank you that his word says you have transferred us. You have literally lifted us up and you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light in your dear son. We thank you, Jesus, that we are not of the dark, but we are of the light. For those who do evil, Lord, love the darkness, but those who do good love the light. And we thank you, Jesus, this morning it's you, the light of the world. you the hope of the world. You live inside of us. And though these bodies may one day be lured into a grave, we shall not die. For you have given us eternal life in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father God, I thank you for all of those who preceded us in life. I thank you for all of those who, Lord, have, like the Apostle Paul, Lord, have slipped into your presence. Jesus, those bodies are awaiting that great and glorious day when the trumpet of God shall sound. And those which are asleep in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain, we shall be called up into the air forever and ever and ever, where there is no need for a sun nor a moon nor stars, for the Lamb of God will be the light of all of heaven. We give you praise for this, for it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And everyone that believed that said amen and gave the Lord a hand of praise today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Well, God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Becky and I are so glad to be home and to be back with you today. And you're going to have to... Uh, Help me out a little bit this morning. The first service liked to preach me to death. I had to go back to the office and cool off and get something for my throat, and I can't wait to preach one more time to you this morning. Becky and I had a wonderful sabbatical. We went to churches that sang courses like we sang here at Woodland beautifully every week, and then we went to some churches. I'd lean over to Becky, and I'd say, have you ever heard that before? She goes, that's the first song I ever learned to play on the piano. We heard preaching that just enriched our soul and made us feel so rich and deep. We went into one community that um, there was not an evangelical church or a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church or a Baptist church or anything in the entire community, and we drove 30-something miles up into the mountains 
where we found a church, a little church, and it said King James Version only. And I told Becky, said, they may not like me very much in here, but that's where we're going to church at today. And boy, did that pastor preach. If you think I'm loud and wild, you should have been in the KGV only, only church. But what a message he preached, and I got to meet him and fellowship with him and send him a letter or an email to let him know I was praying for him this week. I love the body of Christ, don't you? I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give him one more hand of praise for that. (laughs) Hallelujah. I began our sabbatical with a funeral on Sunday morning before we left, Bonnie Gish stood at those back doors and hugged my neck and told me how much she loved me and told me how she'd walked two miles, a little over two miles that morning, and how she prayed for all of her neighbors as she walked. For some reason, we just had that conversation. And, and then I asked her, I said, well, does Dave walk with you? And she goes, no. <laughs> just know how she would. No, she doesn't walk with me. And, and then the next day, Bonnie slipped into the presence of Jesus, and on Thursday, we preached her funeral. And then when we got to Georgia, my mentor, my pastor, my friend, the closest thing to a father I have, a spiritual father outside my dad, Dr. Milford Addison was not doing well, and I went and sat for two days with him and just held his hand and and prayed and read scripture. He couldn't talk, but he knew I was there. He'd smile at me and rub my hand, and on the second day when I was sitting with him, I just knew time was near, so... I sang to him. I sang to him about heaven. And his eyes began to fill with tears while I was singing. I don't know if he was enjoying it or enduring it, but he was stuck. He couldn't go anywhere. So I kept singing, and I kept crying and wiping my nose and dabbing his face. And we prayed some more and just sat there. And after a while, he just held on to my hand and wouldn't let go. He looked at me and he said, where's my wife? And so I went and got Joyce. Dr. Addison, not only the Georgia District Superintendent, but his ministry affected and shaped the whole world. His church was a multicultural church, diverse church, long before people ever began using those words in Athens, Georgia, right outside the University of Georgia, where people from Africa and Asia, Madagascar, people from Malaysia, all came to know Jesus Christ. He was the Chairman of the board for Southeastern College for decades, calling presidents, declined to take the presidents. In the days before pastors were getting graduate degrees, Dr. Addison had already earned two masters, one from Wheaton, one from the University of Georgia. Just a powerful man of God and a great district superintendent. It wasn't the passage I used to speak out of, but one of the speakers used John 1.47 and said that Dr. Addison was like Nathaniel, the Israelite that Jesus saw and said, Behold, a man in whom there is no guile. I've read that in every translation of the Bible I could lay my hands on since that because that was a great description. Those of you who remember Dr. Addison when he was still able to travel and preach, came and preached for us and mentored our pastors that week and talked to our board, you remember him, what a godly man he was. He was a man in whom there was no guile. He was a man redemptive in character. He was a man who was almost godlike in stature because of his achievements and accomplishments, but so humble you would never know. He would just kind of do what he could to serve you. 
And I was so grateful that I was able to talk about his life as I was able to talk about Bonnie's, except not as his pastor, but as one that had been mentored and loved by him. I was able to talk about when we were sitting in an airport in New York City after having preached our hearts in Africa, and we had been gone for almost a month and ready to come home. And he began to talk to me about love and marriage and how I should treat Becky and my children and telling me to slow down and spend more time with them that I wouldn't realize, I wasn't going to realize how soon that would pass. And then he began to go really romantic and talk about Joyce and his love for Joyce. And I finally realized he was really dealing with severe jet lag, lack of sleep, lack of coffee, lack of food. And I said, you've got to be quiet. But I wrote down everything he said in my journal and I showed it to Becky. And she says, you cannot share that at the funeral. I shared with him how that he was a man who loved his children. And we prayed together often for his children was able to tell each of the kids unique stories from his perspective, his grandchildren. I shared with them how when I transitioned from being district youth director in Georgia, I did what at that time was the first time it had ever been done in the Assemblies of God because he was always a man of great vision. And he gave me a ministry description, and I looked at it, and I read it, and I says, I, I can't do this. Nobody else can do this but you. And he goes, no, I'm empowering you to do this. And I took in his name, as his hands of love, three days a week, pastoral families out to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner. We went into their homes and we prayed. We came to their altars in their church and we prayed together. They told us what we were doing right, what we could do better, what we were doing wrong. They confessed sins. They confessed problems they were dealing with. He never asked for a name. Those files moved with me to Michigan. All he wanted was a monthly report so he would know the health and the condition. It's how I pastor through the church and the board today because of what he taught me there. I was able to share with him, he was not only a man of all of these great qualities, but he could be a man sometimes insistent, <clears throat> like when we were in a perfume shop in Paris. He insisted I buy Becky a bottle of perfume that he was buying Joyce and I said, I smell, I says, no, I'm not going to get that for Becky. And he goes, Dennis, this is the best quality perfume you can buy. And I go, well, I'm not getting that. It's not what I want. It smells nice. He goes, you don't understand. This is a really good buy. You should buy this for Becky. You'll never buy a better quality perfume for Becky than this. And I looked at him. I said, Dr. Addison, I don't want that. I like this better, and I won't smell this on Becky. So I bought her Bizantz. And for some reason, he was insistent about that. When I got home and after seeing my family, we went out to mom and daddy's house and mama met us at the door and I hugged her and I went, oh, that's that perfume in Paris. I went back and told him and Joyce and Joyce said, well, it's not very romantic to smell your mama, is it? <laughs> it was just the kind of man he was. When he preached for us, I hired a guide and we went fishing. He loved to fish. I can't stand to fish. He loved to fish. And we slew fish that day, and I wanted to pay somebody to clean them. He says, no. He said, we're not paying anybody to clean these fish. And so the chairman of the board, the district superintendent, the advisor, the general superintendents, he and Christopher and I gut fish in the backyard of my house. And he says, just put these down this drain. And I says, we can't put them down that drain. He says, doesn't that go out to the river? I go, yes, sir. It goes out to the river, but we can't put these down that drain. He goes, yes, we can. He says, the fish will eat it. It's good for the environment. So we put them down the drain. Well, it just so happened it didn't rain for over a week, and our backyard stunk to high heaven because of all the fish guts that were down there. We did have lots of cats to come and visit us. 
I'm going to miss his frequent calls. Dennis, this is Brother Addison. He would call and he would pray for you. He would pray for me. And it always seems that he called at the right time. At Christmas time, I went and sat with him and I knelt down beside him and he laid hands upon me and blessed me and our family, blessed you as a church and prayed for us one last time. I was deeply, deeply honored not only to work for him, but to be made a part of their family and Becky and our children to be made a part of their family. But what a way to begin and close a sabbatical with a woman who loved Jesus and every day prayed for every home in her condominium development, for a woman who opened up her garage and put toys for pets and children in her garage so that her neighbors could come and have a Bible study with her, for a woman that was a part of this congregation, Bonnie Gish, who lived as a passionate follower of Christ and to preach the funeral of the man who taught me how to be a passionate follower of Christ, Dr. Milford Addison. I think we ought to give the Lord a hand for those who've gone before us in the name of Jesus Christ. God's good, isn't he? I want to be ready when he calls my name. I want to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to do something that I've never done until this morning. I'm going to preach an entire message from one book of the Bible, just go through the whole book of the Bible. And um, I was, on my 63rd birthday, I ran the same course that I ran when I turned 30 years old. I completed it, not as fast as I completed it 33 years ago, but I completed it with the help of two Advil and but in this whole sabbatical I've been praying Lord help me to see where you want to take us in this next decade as a church help me to understand and come back I want to finish my course I want to finish my race with this congregation I want to finish it fruitful and leave a church I don't know how many of us will still be here 10 years from now how many more funerals I will preach, how many more babies I'll dedicate. But we have a responsibility to leave a vision and to leave a passion. And so I want to talk to you from what I think is one of the grandest books of the New Testament, and that's the book of Ephesians. And if you would, I'm going to ask you to read with me from Ephesians, just the first five verses. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I can't hear you. Would you read it out loud with me? Let's start over. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. Don't miss that. Because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him, read that again, and it gave him great pleasure. 
Our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, I ask for that mystical something that I cannot explain. Where the wind of heaven fills our cells and helps me, Lord, to preach the word of God and helps your people to catch the word of God and then anoint us, O Lord, to do what you've called us to do in this community, to celebrate your love. God, celebrate your love. To celebrate your great pleasure by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, we confess we cannot do this on our own. We need the anointing and the help of the Holy Spirit. So come this day, manifest yourself in healing, saving grace among us, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. There's nothing so dangerous, I believe, as to say that what you believe doesn't really matter. There's nothing so pernicious, I believe, than to say that your creed, your doctrine, your belief doesn't really matter. But what matters is, is that you're a decent person, that you're loving, that you're honest. Those are all things we want everyone to be with us, but what produces those qualities in our lives? For even to make a decision about what is decent, and even to make a decision about what is honest, and even to make a decision about what is kind or generous, depends upon what you believe. Because our beliefs, our doctrines, shape what we do. Thomas Jefferson made this into a dogma. He said, it's not your creed, but it's your deeds. It's not what you believe, it's what you live and what you do. He wrote to one lady, and the, lady is pretty, and the letter is pretty famous, I never tried to persuade anyone else to believe as I believe about God because who knows? It doesn't matter what you believe. It's by my life and by my deeds that my life is validated, not by my beliefs. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Our life is validated by what we believe and who we believe in, the one who carried our sins to Calvary. There are those who tell us that we shouldn't evangelize. There are those who tell us that we shouldn't try to persuade. There are those who tell us that we should not because it's divisive or it puts someone else down to try to compel them to believe as we believe. I like what one Jewish writer who's a very popular writer and on the news a lot said recently about one of his Christian friends. He says, I'm a Jew. I do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but my Christian friends try to persuade me that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and I love them all the more for it because they try to persuade me because they not only love Jesus, but they love me as well. You see, what you believe matters. It's not just your deeds. 20 years after Acts chapter 19, when Paul had come to a community that had heard about Jesus, and when Paul had come to a community that had learned about Jesus and even been baptized, Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit since they believed. And they said, we've not even heard if there'd be such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And so Paul laid hands upon them and 
prayed for them and had this powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And to Paul's amazement and those traveling with him, their amazement, they spoke in tongues just like they did on the day of Pentecost. Something happened powerful in that dramatic encounter in the Holy Spirit. And now, 20 years later, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians because something's gone amiss in this congregation. Paul has to remind them. He's going to take us to the nosebleed section of the stadium. He's going to take us to a 50,000-foot level, that 50,000-foot view. And we're going to be staggered as we read the book of Ephesians, as we read in chapters 1 and chapters 2 and chapters 3 about the amazing grace of God. We read about the heavenlies. We read about the conflict that takes place in an invisible world that affects the visible world that we we live in. We're going to read about how God's Spirit inhabits and dwells with us and absolutely stunning and staggering things that we read in those first three chapters. And then Paul brings us right down to earth and he lands a plane and says, let me show you how this affects how you live practically. Because 20 years later, the church had begun to forget who it was. And like all churches, like all pastors, like all Christians, if we're not careful, the cares of this world or our pride or our selfishness begins to creep in, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, the things that hurt us in this life and cause us to forget who we are in Christ, the world that we truly inhabit and live in. And we begin bitter and we have strife and maybe we lie, maybe we steal. These are the kinds of problems that Paul will address in chapters 4 five and six, and he'll tell us how to have wonderful marriages and wonderful job relationships, and he'll tell us how to live this life, but first, he wants you to see who you truly are. And again, the church will forget, because if you will remember, especially those of you that have been going with me through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, you'll remember this is the church that Paul wrote about excuse me, that John wrote about, that Jesus warned and says, you, you're doing so many things right, but because you've lost your first love, you're not passionate about me anymore. You're not in love with me anymore. You don't care about me. You, you do the right things. You have the right religious formulas. You have the right places. You have the right buildings. You have the right doctrines. You believe the right things, but they're now become just a form, and there's no fire in the romance. There's no power in the romance. There's no sense of intimacy with me because you have forgotten your first love, and remember your first love, Ephesians, lest I come and remove your candlestick out of its place. You see, all of us as churches, we have this issue. We as Christians, we have this issue. As pastors, we have this issue. And so January will be 20 years that I've been your pastor. And as I was seeking God and fasting on this sabbatical about what he would say to Becky and I and what he would say to our church... It seems this book written 20 years after the Acts 19 experience, God just began to do something in my life and has caused me to laugh and caused me to have greater vision than ever before, but has caused me to weep as well. So the first thing that I want to take you to this morning is remember God. This week, tonight, today, remember God. Remember God in your prayers. Remember God in your thanksgiving. Remember God in your Bible reading. Remember Him and remember what great things He has done for you. 
In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul writes, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, or the saints, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, read it with me, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus again. Faithful followers of Christ Jesus. In other words, passionate followers of Jesus Christ. He's not writing to the lukewarm. He's not writing to the one that will let it go in this year and out this year. He's not writing to the one that just wants church on Sunday and then not to be bothered with God during the rest of the week. He's not writing to the one that just wants some fire insurance to keep him out of the flames of hell. He's writing to the ones that are called to be saints, the ones that are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. For they are the ones that will remember God. This church had forgotten what God had done for them, and they had forgotten where God had brought them from. They had forgotten that sometimes there is a price to pay to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Paul was paying that price. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20, he says, So I am in chains now for Christ. In the book of Colossians, he says, I am in chains for Christ. When he's writing to Philemon, he says, I am in chains for Christ. It was the Romans that held the key. It was the Romans that put him in jail. But Paul refused to give to the Romans any of the credit. He was where he was at because he was there for Christ Jesus. Satan has no authority in this place. Satan has no authority in your life. The prince of darkness has no authority here. And whether it be something pleasant or whether it be a trial in our life, we have taken up our cross to follow Jesus Christ. We are in chains for Christ Jesus, never for this world. Hallelujah. 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 As Paul prays for them, he tells them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will, first of all, have your eyes open. He wants you to see who you are. He wants to see who you are in Christ Jesus. He wants you to see where you live in Christ Jesus. He wants you to see your position in Christ. And then secondly, he prays for power in your life, for the power of God to be manifested in your life. And then as he prays, he tells us in these first three chapters that the church is to nurture itself in Christ. He tells us that pastors are to nurture the church and to equip the church. That pastors are to preach the word and equip them for discipleship. And friends, I tell you this morning, the ministry of this church depends upon pastors being faithful and following the Lord and preaching and teaching and equipping and discipling. But it just as much depends upon you as being pastors passionate followers of Jesus Christ, if I fail to preach the word, if I fail to live for Christ, if I fail to model this life, I need to be moved from this pulpit. I need to be removed from this place of ministry until I am restored at an altar and I once again submit to Jesus Christ and I submit to you this morning. Don't think this is just for the preachers of the gospel, but daddy, you are called to be a man of God. Husband, you are called to be a passionate follower of Jesus. Jesus. Mother, you are called to be a passionate follower of Christ. Children, you are called this morning to follow Jesus and to nurture yourself in Christ and to be fruitful and passionate about the love of him who saved us from our sins. He's called us to purity. He's called us to purity. The world has no love for purity anymore. 
This church was being built at the gates of hell and prevailing against it. The great temple of Diana was there. The prostitution, the dehumanizing of sexuality, the dehumanizing of marriage, the discarding of babies that were unwanted, the discarding of lives, the things that I can't even speak of from the pulpit because some things are too shameful. These things were all being dehumanized because it was being built in a great city that affected a circumference. If you were here during the book of Revelation series, a great circumference of 600 miles where people came to do business in Ephesus. This was a city that had a mighty influence like Los Angeles or like Detroit or like Atlanta or like New York or like Brussels or London or Paris or Nairobi. This was a city that had world influence. And there in the city, the church was being built. Don't you ever, ever, ever buy into the lie that there is one place too hard for God. There is one place too difficult for God. Our God is greater than all the powers of hell arrayed against us. He can build his church wherever people will follow him with all of their hearts. It's a call to spirit-filled living. A spirit-filled church. And may God deliver us from any emotional excesses or trying to say that these excesses are what calls a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church has the power of God working in miracles, the power of God when we pray in the spirit in a language we don't understand, the power of God working in our lives in sanctification, the power of God working in our lives in discerning of spirits, the power of God working in our lives to make us generous and kind and good and loving and self-control. You don't measure spirit-filled living by emotional excess. You measure it by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It was called to be that spirit-filled church. And when you read about those wonderful pieces of armor, what you're reading about is virtue. But as a church, it's also called to warfare in the heavenlies because Paul is going to help us to see that what affects this world, that the people of this world are not our enemy. God loved this world so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for our lost neighbors and our lost friends. But there is an unseen world inhabited by angels and by principalities and powers. Some of those angels do the bidding of God. And then there are fallen principalities and powers that you cannot see that are at work trying to bring division and destruction and destroy lives and to bring influence and God calls us to prevail against them not through politics not through economics not through education but God calls us to prevail against them upon our knees and prevailing spirit led spirit driven prayer and in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbor because there was a harvest in Ephesus there is a harvest in Down River there is a harvest in your subdivision but it will not come because of the buildings or because of the music it will come because we are a praying church and a preaching church and a church that believes and persuading lost people that Jesus Christ is Lord. These heavenlies that Paul writes about, it's not the heaven of Revelation chapter 4 and 5, but it's this unseen world. But before Paul gets into all that, he wants you to understand who you are because you don't go up against an unseen world without knowing who you are. I don't go to horror movies, I don't go to demon movies, not because I'm afraid of them. I've seen the demoniacs, 
I've seen the demoniacs delivered. I've seen things that will boggle your imagination. When somebody tells me those things don't exist, I don't criticize them, but I laugh inside, realizing how protected and how sheltered they truly are not to understand some of the evil that happens in our world. But I have no time to watch for people who are frightened and want cheap thrills and cheap scares because of something Hollywood manufactures and then puts into the minds of people that makes them afraid of the enemy. You spit the devil in the eye and you swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk and you say, come on, victory. You have been called to be more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. You say, that sounds good. How can I know that? Well, first of all, Paul says, you are loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Oh, Becky loves me. My mama loves me. You love me. But there is one greater than all of us here. He created the universe. He created this world. He is the great I am, the beginning and the ending, and he knows our names, and he loves us this morning. Hallelujah. God loved us, Paul wrote. God loved us. Secondly, he chose me. I didn't choose him. His Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart. His Holy Spirit began to call me and began to woo me and persuade me who Jesus was. And the Bible says that God chose us in Christ. I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to brag about. When I stand before the throne of God, I will not tell him one thing that I have done in my life, but I will say you loved me and you chose me in Christ and you saved me. I am saved from my sin. Sin has no power, no authority over me or you that have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. I am saved to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? I am loved, I am chosen, and I am saved. I am loved, I am chosen and I am saved. Why don't we stand up right now and let's just minister to you. Let's have another little time of greeting right here. Let's turn around and greet each other and tell them, say, I am loved, I am chosen, and I am saved. And then you tell them, I am loved, I am chosen, I am saved. Come on, church. I am loved, I am chosen, I am saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're not only loved and chosen and saved. God wants you to remember not only him, but he wants you to remember you are a child of God this morning. Your last name is the name of the Lord. I'm proud of the name Clanton. I had a great dad, great mom. We, on our sabbatical, visited with friends. Did you see the video of Becky climbing that rock? Man, wasn't she something? She just took that rope and that, I mean, just with her hands and her feet, she climbed that cliff and I stood there. I was so, you just don't know how afraid Becky is of heights. First time I took her spelunking, the last time I took her spelunking, we were climbing a cliff inside of a cave, and she was praying in the spirit all the way up, and 
who he got to the top and she was crying and praying and my, our guide says, where's your wife from? I said, she's from Georgia. He goes, no, what country? Where'd she come from? I, oh, she was just praying in the Holy Spirit. He goes, oh, and just went back to God. And he knew what I was talking about. She climbed that thing, but the guides that we had there, Mark Holloway. Oh, Mark was a reporter, a journalist, became president of the Chamber of Commerce, and then went into ministry, and now has a big business up in the North Georgia mountains and took us that day climbing the cave. But while he was, one day he was thinking about my dad and he, he called Ed Grissom of the Macon Telegraph and News and he says, Ed, you've got a great story right under your nose and you don't even know it. He says, did you know that Buford Clanton that lives in your community, his son pastored there, he says Buford Clanton's uncles were Ike and Billy Clanton of the, of the Clanton gang that got shot up at the OK Corral. So Ed called my dad and said, can I come out and do an interview? And dad doesn't, didn't like to talk about that. He didn't even like people to know we were related to them. So Ed came out and said, so tell me about your outlaws and your family. And my dad looked at Ed Grissom and it's the way he starts his article. He says, and Mr. Clanton pointed his finger right at me and said to me, my daddy ain't no outlaw. <laughs> I'm proud of that name because when I think of Clanton, I think of Daniel, excuse me, of George Washington Clanton, Daniel Clanton, and Buford Clanton. And I pray my boys and my daughter will always be proud of their name. But I can't tell you how much I love the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how proud I am to be a child of God. I can't tell you how much I wanted to call the church and say, let's just do communion one more time this morning because the blood of Jesus is even more important to me than the blood of my Father that flows in my veins. You are a child of God. And he uses this wonderful word to describe what he's done in you. The Greek word is poema. It means masterpiece. It's where we get our word poem from. We went to Robert Frost's home in New Hampshire, and we're walking the poetry trail, and we were reading some of the poetry that was posted along there that he'd written, and he was a great poet, and I love Mr. Frost, and we took some pictures there, but there's a greater poem, there's a greater story being written in every life in this church by the finger of God. You are God's masterpiece, and God is writing a story in your life that's every bit as impressive as Bonnie Gish's. God is writing a story in your life that is every bit as impressive as, as Milford Addison's. God is writing his story of grace and love, for you are chosen, you are loved, you are saved, you were adopted by God, and now he says in Ephesians 2.10, you are his masterpiece created in you in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a masterpiece. And you know, together as a church, we're a masterpiece. You could call this masterpiece gardens right here. All of us are trophies of grace. All of us are a story that God is writing. 
And before we get too carried away with that, it's important to see where he has brought us from because he takes us into chapter 2 and lets us see the depravity of sin that he has saved us from. He lets us see how we were saved. He brings us down. He says, you were dead and trespasses in sin. And then through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been made alive. You may be breathing today. You may have life. You may be creative. But sin has made you dead Sin has done something in your life that you don't understand and it eats at you like a cancer and it slowly destroys you as it separates you more and more from God. And God has sent you here to this church to hear this passionate preacher this morning with a message from heaven. You don't have to stay dead in trespasses and sin. There is an unseen God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. He wants to give you new life and a fresh start and make of your life a masterpiece today. Somebody give him a hand of praise. When Christ comes inside of us, our faith in Christ develops us and transforms us into those holy people of God, those saints that are passionate followers of Christ. And we begin to do what we could not do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles happen, prayers are answered, lives are transformed, sick bodies are healed, people die in peace and not in fear. People understand when they stand at the graveside, their loved ones are not rotting away in a grave, but their loved ones who died in Christ, they are with Christ Jesus, and they are more alive than ever before. Brothers and sisters, devils flee, hell trembles, and the gates of hell collapse before a people who refuse to play church for a people who refuse to value the building or to value the economy. But our value is in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus. And we will follow him wherever he leads us. Wherever he leads us. All I can say this morning, Paul writes in Ephesians 1.3, read it with me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Look at that. God has given us every spiritual blessing. Circle that in your outline. Every spiritual, the word spiritual blessing is pneumatikos, every spiritual gift. God has blessed you, and when you are blessed by God, you are blessed and highly favored. When you are blessed by God, you are blessed and you're going in and you're going out. You were blessed when you came into this place, you will be blessed even more when you go out of this place this morning. When you were blessed by God, everything you touch your hands to, God begins to use it and prosper it in the hands of the diligent. But notice this. He says, you are blessed with these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Oh, you look at the apostle Paul writing to you in change. He doesn't look blessed. You look at the apostle Paul and he's chained between those two Roman guards. He doesn't look blessed. But he looks at those two Roman guards and he realizes my blessings are not of this world but my blessings are in the heavenly realms and there is a war going on and the Christians are being persecuted because in Acts chapter 19 there was such a revival that people began to bring all of their artifacts and all their items of the occult and all their items from Diana and they began to build this great bonfire and they burned them and suddenly revival 
begin to affect the businesses. Revival begin to affect the temple worship of Diana. And they decided there's going to be a riot. We can't have this preacher in our community. We can't have this preacher turning people from darkness to light. And the moment you begin to turn people from sin to Jesus, the moment you begin to turn people from darkness to light, the moment you begin to move in such a way that you impact the powers of this world, the gates of hell arrayed against you. And Paul doesn't look blessed. But friends, I want you to know the temple of Diana is in ruins and we are here today because he wrote about the spiritual armor of Jesus Christ put upon our lives. We are called to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You may fight us, you may war against us, you may talk bad about us in the press, you may, like Hillary Clinton, say, we have got to be made to change our minds about abortion and about marriage. We will not bow the knee to any politician. We will not bow the knee to any antichrist spirit. We will only bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And when the smoke has settled, we, the church, will still be here and everything else will be in ruins. Somebody praise him this morning. I'm not in chains for the Romans. I am in chains for Christ. And we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I just wrote quickly some of those spiritual blessings. He has given us joy, satisfaction, honor, peace, patience, kindness, love, power, gentleness, self-control, forbearance. These are not possible to the world. The world operates in lust. The world operates in impatience. The world operates in consumption and disgrace. The world operates in lies and me first and oppression and lack of self-control. Over our sabbatical, I chose a fruit of the Spirit to pray over each day. Of... The one I need most is patience. I hope you still love me. But can I be impatient sometime? Stop, hush. I'd, I'd been a good time to lie right there. I've been praying for patience, and I was trying to help Becky with a couple of projects. Becky told somebody this morning, she said, we found out we are not Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> what she really meant to say is she is Joanna, and I'm not Chip. <laughs> I'm up on a ladder. I'm angry. Not with her. I just, Becky, why can't I do this kind of stuff? Chris can do it, Andrew can do it, and I begin naming, I says, you would think if I didn't look like him, I wasn't Buford Clinton's son. And she said, well, I can tell you what to do. I said, what? She said, stop praying for patience, and our lives will be a lot better. <laughs> you see, God takes what is impossible for you, and he makes it possible. This life that I'm describing to you, it is only available to those who give their lives to Jesus. So I want you to see these three things. They're not in your outline. You may want to write them down. But you are empowered by your faith in God. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Look at that. You will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. This same mighty power 
It's at work in you. You are not powerless. You are not powerless over yourself. You are not powerless over your circumstances. You are not powerless over your addictions. You are not powerless over your problems. Stop letting the devil in the world tell you you're powerless. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is working in you. How many of you believe that Jesus rose again on the third day? Can I see your hand? How many of you believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? How many of you believe that Jesus is going to come back just like he said? Friends, if you believe that in the eyes of the world, you're crazy. But in the eyes of God, you are full of wisdom and full of hope. That same power is at work in you today. Somebody give him a hand of praise. I have been given authority in Christ, the Bible says. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What's he saying? When Jesus arose and he ascended into heaven, if you would let this kind of look like a throne, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And now Paul tells us that we, when we give our, listen, don't you miss this? Don't you miss this? When we are raised up in Christ, Right now, not when we die, but when we give our hearts to Jesus, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What is underneath the feet of Jesus is underneath my feet. What is underneath the feet of Jesus is underneath your feet because we are not just seated upon this earth, but in the heavenly realms we have begun authority and power. We are seated with Christ. And this is not a good description. Don't think of it this way. But if for just a moment you could imagine the head of Jesus being in heaven, and the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus and the mouth of Jesus and the heart of Jesus it's upon this earth because we are the body of Christ and he is the head of the church for all things can we give him another hand of praise you are not powerless and then thirdly God says he's equipped you be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power Put on all of God's army, armor so that you'll not be able to stand, so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now listen, this is important. Honey, if you'll come on up the piano. This is probably the most important thing I'm going to say. Jesus didn't try to change the politics of Rome. He changed the hearts of men and women. Paul didn't try to change the politics of Ephesus. He preached and prayed that the hearts of men and women would be transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The church is not about banning things that we find distasteful. The church is about persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Because when I become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, I don't want the things I used to want. I want to love Becky just like Christ loved the church. I wanted to nurture my children in the admonition and the love of God. I pour out my heart daily for you. I don't say that to sound spiritual, but heaven is my witness because I want to be a shepherd after God's own heart. 
We're not about banning things or banning people. The church is where people turn from their sin because they want to turn and follow Jesus. The church is where we build a bonfire and burn those things of the past and we count them as rubbish, all for the glory of knowing Jesus Christ, even if it means we're in change for Christ because everything in this world will fall to ruins, but we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. You can't say, Mr. Jefferson, the doctrine doesn't matter without laying down a doctrine. You can't say what you believe doesn't matter without laying down a doctrine. You can't say, Mr. Jefferson, what is decent and kind and good without first interpreting what is decent and kind and good. Paul wants us set free from that pernicious polluted, perverted idea that what you believe doesn't matter. It's not creed, it's deeds. That's the lie of the pit of hell. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and he descended into hell and he preached the gospel to the captives. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised again and he was exalted by the power of the Holy Spirit to the right hand of the Father. I believe in his church. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that one day he shall return to judge the quick and the dead. And that's why I live my life as I live my life. Well, give him a hand of praise. That's what makes us good at marriage. That's what helps us deal with our conscience. That's what helps us have satisfying careers and work with people. It's what helps us solve our differences and communicate. Because there is no life without truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Now I'm going to be quick, so you may want to write these down. If not, you'll have to email Norma for them. So here's your growth work, live in the Spirit. Therefore, I, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Live united in the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're always going to agree on everything, but you're, we don't agree on everything. Three greatest words I've learned are these two sentences. I am sorry, and you were right. Words to live by. Benjamin will tell me once in a while, Daddy, a happy wife is a happy life. As a church, we may not always agree on everything, but we can always be united. In a company, you may not always agree on everything, but you can always live united. Make every effort. It takes it, doesn't it? In a marriage and careers, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Secondly, live in purity. Live a holy life. Live a godly life. What would it be like if the businesses in Downriver all of a sudden looked at Woodland Church and says, you're hurting our business? 
What would happen to the gambling? What would happen to internet pornography? What would happen to all the things if suddenly the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ began to say, we will have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness? What would happen? Then suddenly we would no longer be a nice church. We would be a dangerous church. We would be a dangerous church with a glorious message. I want to see the gates of hell tremble, don't you? Live a life of love. Following the example of Jesus Christ, he loved and offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. You're not loving until you're sacrificing. You're not loving when you're being pleasured. You're not loving when you're just being taken care of. You're loving when you are sacrificing for others. Live in light. Live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Those who love darkness, they love to do evil. Sometimes people say to me, how do I know if I'm really living in light? The Bible says, when you do what is good and when you do what is right, you know you're living in the light. You're producing those things. Live wisely. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. What's a fool? I don't mean this with any deprecation towards anybody that disagrees with me. But the Bible defines a fool as one who says there is no God. That the Bible defines a fool as one who knows there's a God and then doesn't live for God. The Bible defines a fool as one who knows that Jesus Christ died for his sins and there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and still rejects the good news of Jesus, loving the things of this world. The Bible describes that person as a fool. If I was to step out in front of a car today, knowingly, you would say, what made pastors so foolishly to do that? If I was to take narcotics and become addicted upon them, you would say, what made pastors so foolish to do that? If I was to cheat upon Becky, you would say, what made pastors so foolish to do that? Live wisely. Live for Christ. Follow his word. Live thankfully. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God. Not just make music here at church. But sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing. I sing every day. I sing on Sunday morning, and Becky says, hush. I go, I'm just singing. She goes, those aren't the right words. And if you sing those words, I'm going to sing them on the platform because your voice is going to be in my head. I like that. I love you, I love you, I love you. Make music. I was praying one day on my sabbatical, and I said, Lord, do I sing to you too much? And I'm telling you, you could you take this for what it's worth, but in my soul, I felt, son, I love it when you sing. So I just ran and sang and sang and sang and sang. Live in submission to the Lord. How do you do that? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is a quality. We're not talking about being a doormat. We're not talking about you know, letting people walk out, but submit to one another. And then finally, you will live in victory. You'll put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then, after the battle, I'm in chains. I'm in chains. You are being persecuted. But after the battle, we will still be standing can you say, come on, victory this morning? Bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit of God, would you search our hearts this morning? 
For those who may not have crossed the line and committed their hearts to you, would you convict them to be wise and submit their lives to you, Jesus, and know that you love them and you will transform them. God, for those this morning that, God, if they're honest, they've forsaken their first love. They're going through all the ritual, but there's no remembering you daily. There's no kneeling before you daily. There's no music in their heart this morning. God, as a matter of fact, sometimes they come to church just because they know they ought to come to church. How long, how long has it been since they said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I pray, Jesus, revive us, renew us. If after 20 years, the Ephesian church needed you to revive them again. Lord, if some 40 years later, they would need you to revive them again, then as a pastor of this congregation, standing before this congregation in your presence, I pray, revive us again and make us passionate followers of Christ. If you're not a Christian, just pray this prayer quietly with me. Or maybe you need to just repent of some sin. You can pray this. You can do this with me. Just say in your heart, Lord Jesus, I do believe in you. I do believe by the stirring of my heart that you have chosen me. I do believe that you love me. Oh, how good it is to be loved. And I believe that you will save me as I confess my faith in you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Cleanse me. I want to live a pure and a holy life for you. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody who agreed with them said, Amen and amen and amen. Let's praise the Lord with the angels in the heavenly places this morning, would you?